British jazz pianist Keith Ingham has worked with a wide variety of performers from actor Peter Sellers to jazz greats Benny Goodman and Peggy Lee. As a youth, Keith wasn't encouraged to pursue a jazz life and in fact studied languages at Oxford before succumbing to a full-time career in music. I'm Judy Carmichael and this is Jazz Inspired. Keith and I met in New York City during a dramatic thunderstorm and discussed the drama we both experienced in jazz as well as the fun. I asked Keith what in particular spoke to him with the music of one of his favorite singers, Peggy Lee. Rather, what spoke to me about Maxine is totally unaffected. And she loved Maxine Sullivan. She loved Mildred Bailey. And I, I found that she had a wonderful understanding of how she would interpret a song. Mm. You know, and Maxine had that too. You know, there, and there was no frills or fuss. And the idea was to sort of get to the heart of the lyric, but at the same time not distort the, the melody or what mm. the composer had in mind, you know. And uh, that's so refreshing, especially now with oh, so many singers. <laughs> nonsense! These divas—they call them. I mean, they, you know, they want to use <laughs> the look every, on your face is I perfect. Know, I know. Well, I they, wish they, this for TV. <laughs> I know they use these, these songs as vehicles for their own angst. You know, their own sort of life story, and their boyfriends just left them or whatever. You know, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, just I thought Peggy was so wonderfully professional. Just sang the songs beautifully, interpreted them in her own unique way, and it was a way of no frills but getting really much to the essence of the song. I had a love once 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 Roll on you river Stand tall, you mountains Wind on you valleys Cascade, you waterfalls I had a love once But it flew
Well, I get to ask you something that I've never asked anyone, and you can give me the answer, because I've wondered this working in England myself. The jazz fans there seem to have a big knowledge of traditional piano that you and I love, Fats Waller, Art Tatum. People here may or may not. They'll be big jazz fans, but they won't necessarily know that. And Mm -hmm. why is that, or do you know why that is, or am I imagining that? No, no, you're absolutely right. Well, I think it's because in Europe we have a historical sense about most things. Mm. You know, and if you're going to, like a lot of us, the only real way to listen to American jazz particularly when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, it was through records, you know, either 78s, which were still around then, or LPs. And, um, well, Fats Waller, as you just mentioned, was a great favorite, not just amongst jazz people, but also um, he was known to the general public. Right, you and, know, and you know. why did they embrace him so much? He was a big star in the States of as well. Of course he was, but, yeah. But it seems in particular when mm-hmm. I go to England, mm-hmm. people just are crazy about this I stuff. know, I know. I, I, I think they also, they tend to be very loyal to people that they, they liked early on when they started listening. Oh, that's nice. You know, sometimes that has a drawback because they never outgrow it. You know, you can say, they, they'll talk about Fats Wall, they won't talk about Bud Powell or Bill Evans or something, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> it has its drawbacks too. What was your start in playing piano? Were those the things you were listening to that got you first excited about Yeah, playing? well, we had a piano in the house which the, you know, the uh, Luftwaffe had tried to destroy as best they could or, mm. or a V2, a rocket or something, a bomb, because we, you know, I was born right at the end of the war, but um, the, the piano was full of broken glass and everything, but, oh. it, was, but it was playable, and uh, I it's started... like a prepared piano. Right. <laughs> yeah, this one was ill-prepared for the, the bomb that hit it, but, but uh, the... Uh, you know, it attracted me. I, I began to sort of pick out tunes. I had an aptitude for that. So my mother decided, well, maybe I should give him lessons, you know. Well, my father was still away in the Army. Um, he didn't come back out of there. So he'd signed on and got a commission for X number of years. So she thought it'd be nice if I played the piano to surprise him when he came out of the, after the, you know, what do we call it, getting demobbed, demobilization, came back into civilian life. So I started getting these lessons, and they lasted about, uh, I suppose, about four months and uh, I was going to this dear little old lady who'd point at the notes with a knitting needle and t- taught me the scales, this, that, and the other. And then one day I was there sitting there, and she said, of course. She looked at me very sternly and uh, seriously. She says, they're, they're here, you know, Keith. She says, did you see any of them on your way you know, here to my house? I said, Miss Pierce, what do you mean? She says, well, they're definitely here, you know. They've landed. It was the <laughs> time of the UFOs, you know. The, uh, so she thought the Martians had uh, arrived. <laughs> So, uh, okay, a little, a little nutty. Okay. Oh, no. So I go home to my mother and I say, oh, she says, how was your lesson? I said, fine. I said, Miss Pierce says the Martians have landed, Mum. That was the end of the piano lessons, you know, <laughs> straight away. So after that, I just, just kept going on my own, listening to records and trying to pick it up as best you could, you know.
My guest, jazz pianist Keith Ingham on You Go to My Head. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I asked Keith how old he was when he stopped taking piano lessons. Oh, I was, must have been about 10. I mean, oh, so young. Yeah. yeah, but they didn't want me to play. They, my parents felt that you know music was just a, a pastime and not, it was not a profession to go into. And, um, and particularly popular music, you know. Which is very different in the States. That's one thing I can really say is very different here, that the American, uh, America took its popular music very seriously. Mm. I mean, when you think of how many great musicians started by ge- being given an instrument in their high school or bands, you know, right. like Benny Goodman, for example, mm-hmm. his brothers, you know, Benny got the clarinet, he was small, you know, Irving got a tuba trumpet or something you know harry got the string bass or the tuba or whatever you know it was it was that kind of thing think of all those wonderful black uh, musicians who came out of the orphanages mm-hmm. you know so many of them you know right not only louis armstrong of course and he's well known for that but there was one called the jenkins orphanage i mm-hmm. mean it produced so many great brass players including cat anderson i think and, and but so wasn't many. that encouraged in england as no, well no, the, no because we had our no they didn't take i would say the popular music quite as seriously which is why you had such great arrangers here you know it was it was very much a hit and miss affair and the jazz uh, scene when I was growing up and I started to get interested in playing mostly the traditional jazz bands it was all pretty much self-taught you know mm-hmm. so they could manage certain things but they never got past the you know three of playing being able to play in three or four keys or something mm-hmm. you, know? you know what I mean no it's mm. interesting because mm-hmm. I do know a lot of people here that wanted to pursue music and their parents did mm-hmm. say this right. is not a living. In mm. fact, I think I was at a certain advantage being a woman, which nobody ever thinks about, but my parents didn't focus on what career I was going to have in the same way they did with my brother. So right. I went right. off and did my thing, and they That's thought, it. oh, this jazz thing will wear yes. out. They weren't really focused on she's got to support a family, and right. next thing they knew I was a jazz musician. Well, there you go. <laughs> Too late to stop me. Yeah, exactly. But now, you know, it's, it's very interesting because it's gone the other way, I feel, that um, Duke Ellington very prophetically said there'll come a time when to play jazz you have to come out of a conservatory. Now most of these young players today have all been trained very highly skilled and highly trained and uh, there is no individuality for mm-hmm. me in their playing. I mean when you think back and you think and I mentioned Duke Ellington and one of the selections I've chosen is that wonderful recording from 1942 called Main Stem. It's a blues and everybody gets a solo in it for the band at the time. You can tell those guys apart you can tell Johnny Hodges from, uh, you know, Otto Hardwick or on the same instrument. You can tell Rex Stewart from Cootie Williams. You know, they had such individual sounds. You know, you can tell Tricky Sam from Lawrence Brown. That's all there. You know. And that's what makes it exciting. That's exactly. what always inspired me were exactly. the people that were, yeah. that were mm. unique, mm-hmm. that you heard that sound. Because mm-hmm. people would always ask me about the stride mm. players when I was first listening to it. And I remember the first time I heard Basie. Mm-hmm. with Benny Moten's band, and wow. that stood out so much hearing that I recording. Know. That was unlike anything I'd ever heard, Right, the way he approached yes. it. And it was like Duke, too, with his band. I mean, he suddenly burst into a, a, you know, a chorus of stride from out of nowhere. And the thing I'd like to ask you, Judy, too, if I may ask you a question, <laughs> but isn't it wonderful that in jazz piano you get so many people who can get different sounds out of that instrument yes yes speak to that because people don't think different about different styles now you listen to classical recordings now apart from maybe Walter Gieser King and perhaps I don't know Richter or something it's very difficult on first hearing to say who's playing that piece now you know damn well that we can sit down and we know Teddy Wilson from Tatum from Fats from Bud Powell from uh, Bill Evans from 
don't we? Absolutely, within a, a measure or two. Isn't that wonderful? It's fantastic. And the piano is supposed to be considered such an impersonal instrument because you're not actually blowing into it or, you know, beating on it or caressing it like a double bass or a guitar. You know, you've got the mechanism between you and the instrument and there's somebody can sing on it like Bud did or Bill Evans. Complain. And with, it's it a marvelous? huge, if we've got the right instrument too, yeah. it's this huge feeling. We sure. do feel this vibration. Mm-hmm. And tone, that's something that's in, that too that people don't think about. And another mm-hmm. favorite that we have mm-hmm. in common is Tommy Flanagan. There you go. His, His touch. tone. His touch was so beautiful. the same CD I do, The Recording Jazz Poet, and oh, so that lovely. is yeah. so beautiful, the yeah. way he gets that. Yes, it's so lyrical, and well, Hank too, Hank Jones, another one like that, with a beautiful touch, and uh, it's so distinctive with them, you know, you can know that's, that's just by the touch. Now, that's a very special thing that only jazz has, mm. because you can listen to uh, guys banging a, a keyboard in a rock band, you wouldn't know one from the other, you know? <laughs> and the same goes for... Uh, same goes for a lot of classical players. I mean, a lot of these Oriental players, God bless them, I mean, they're so well-trained, but, um, you know, they, they, they play like typewriters, you know. It's, it's How do you get that feel back? Because as young people listen to this, or when they mm-hmm. talk to me, and I'm sure they ask you too, and we were all young ones yeah. and eager and wanted sure. to play all the notes, hmm. but at the same time, I know when you were growing up, when I was growing mm. up, I also wanted to be an individual. I was mm-hmm. conscious of that. I, I didn't know. want to sound like everybody else. It's difficult, and uh, I think it has to come from inside you, really. Mm. That's the only thing I could say. I mean, it can't be imposed on you. I mean, like we talk about Tommy, where did he get that touch from? It's inside the man. I mean, he was, a, he was such a wonderful human being, such a warm person. And, uh, he was a poet. Exactly. He was a jazz Yeah, poet. he was a poet, but he was not an effete kind of poet. No. He had a great strength in that playing. I mean, uh, you know, Tommy could make that thing roar.
jazz is really about the personality coming out Isn't for it? me. I think me that too. it doesn't me have too. any meaning nope. without personality nope. because I once was playing with a group and I looked over at everybody and I just had this rush of warmth and thought, why am I ever nervous? Because the minute I play, they know everything about me anyway. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, you're not yeah. hiding. No. We know everything mm-hmm. because it's so intimate. Mm-hmm. And other musicians yes. in other fields, they, they've have that feeling mm-hmm. that, or they think they do in the way that they approach it. True. But we know as jazz musicians, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be our ideas, mm-hmm. our individuality. True. Is that what drew you to jazz right away? Yes, it was It was the sound of it. I mean, listening to the early jazzmen, I think they were obviously influenced by opera singers, mm-hmm. you know, because they were the first people really to get on records in a big way. Uh, Caruso, you know, Tito Skeeper, you know, uh, Nellie Melba. Charlie Appine, all these people were big stars of the gramophone. Mm. And there must have been opera records in everybody's home. And uh, that's how, to me, Louis Armstrong sounds like he's singing. He's like a huge sort of a Caruso-type player. It's out there. Bechet, too. Sidney Bechet is exactly the same. It's, it's like uh, operatic uh, sound, you know, the way Bechet would sing on uh, Song of Songs or Summertime, the way Louis would play West End Blues. I mean, it's just like, a, it's like an operatic mm-hmm. declamation. Mm-hmm. I think that came into jazz. I mean, that singing quality. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of Ben Webster on the tenor sax. You know, Stan Getz. You know, Sonny Rollins. They still have that quality. Coltrane. You know, it's it's a singing thing. 
Has that affected you, your obvious passion for these horn players, when you were coming up and first getting inspired about jazz? Oh, yeah. What did horn players do for your playing that was different than what piano players did? Well, they seemed to, to sort of pick out where the... Uh, rhythmically, you could hear the you know it was clearer to hear on a saxophone, you know, because piano the, the notes can get run together and gets a bit muddied, and of course as we as we're all guilty of, our fingers run away with us sometimes, you know. But the horn players seem to get to the essence, mm. of, particularly of, sing, of playing a melody. Think of how Louis plays a melody, you know, and it's like there's no superfluous notes in there, you, mm-hmm. know, you know. And uh, I think, uh, like uh, I think Bill Evans probably heard that too, the way he. He plays melody, you know, there mm-hmm. isn't superfluity in there. It's just getting to the essence of that with his own beautiful harmonic ideas. Evans on Waltz for Debbie.
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. For a discography of the music played on our show and a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. Jazz pianist Keith Ingham talked about playing with different instruments and how that influences his music. I brought along a couple of examples of um, playing with some horns and then playing with mm-hmm. a trio there. You know, there's a, a tune of mine called I, I recorded called Eye Opener with Marty Gross. Mm-hmm. I, I can leave that with you. And that odd number I did, that's a trio album. You'll hear a very different kind of thing. You know? mm-hmm. um, Which do you prefer? I like them both still. I still like both. I mean, I love, I love stride piano in the sense that I like the pieces rather than playing, let's say, uh, like Dick Wellstead used to do. He was a wonderful player, but he'd take Cole Porter's So In Love and turn it into a stride piece, mm-hmm. you know. I preferred his So In Love as, as, a, as a beautiful song. But um, Yeah, I never liked making those into stride pieces either. No, you didn't For like me. that. No, it didn't work to me. No, and... It, it sounded funny. I mean, a guy like Donald Lambert apparently uh, used to turn the bells in St. Mary's, mm-hmm. the bells in St. Mary's, that funny corny old song into a, a stride piece. Well, that's fun. That was like a novelty thing. Right, But right. basically, I just liked the pieces as they were played because... Um, they they remind me a little bit of Chopin in a way because those bass lines are very important and they didn't seem to vary it very much. I mean, if James P. Johnson would play a piece that way, that's how those bass lines went, you know, and that's how the piece was structured. And that's where you hear in Duke, of course, and Basie and uh, Fats, you know, they're very structured pieces, aren't they? They are, and it's wonderful to hear Mm. all those things going on, almost Mm. like Mozart. You're hearing different... That's how I hear it. When I'm hearing those bass lines are going like that. That's why I was never... Mm drawn to some of those more modern pieces, making them stride, because no. they didn't work for my ear. It doesn't ear. work. Yeah. It doesn't work, because those guys who wrote those pieces were thinking along those lines uh, of, exactly. that, of that moving bass line all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
my guest, jazz pianist Keith Ingham on Eye Opener. What do you think of Boogie Woogie? That's what I put it down to. He thought. Yeah, it was why the, did why did he didn't like it? And why was that? He didn't play a lot of blues either. No, he, you know, blues wasn't his forte at all. No, no. But I, I think it's uh, it's it's obviously a party style of piano, and I love it because it's very evocative. I mean, a piece like Honky Tonk Train Blues, you can hear that train. You know, that's that's, that's a tough tune. Yeah, and also <laughs> Jimmy Yancey. There's such lovely poetry in his playing. You know, and that beautiful languid kind of bass. You know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, well, I guess it came out of blues, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's an adaptation of guitar in a way, you know, putting that to a piano, and you know, the guitar can play those rhythms easier than a piano can, because you have to be so percussive with the damn mm-hmm. piano. You know. But I love uh, Pete Johnson, Pete could play, Johnson, could I play love great Pete stride Johnson. piano, and great, great boogie player, I mean, so I would, you know, I think perhaps, to all due respect, maybe Duke hadn't heard enough, or, then you get a piano player like Ray Bryant who comes along and can play that too. I think it's the same thing we're talking about with some of this other stuff, though. It's mm-hmm. it's what you do with it. Yeah. Exactly. Because some of the boogie players that I've heard mm-hmm. really can't do anything else. No, and that right. does get boring. Of but you take a Pete Johnson, yeah. and I just want to bow and say, I mm. am not worthy. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. it's and so wonderful. And too. It was limited, but you know, it, had, it certainly has its place. You know. And people react to that. Mm-hmm. They really respond. Oh, they love it. Yeah. You do just a teeny bit of boogie, and oh, everybody starts yeah, dancing around. Yeah, because it's a wake-up call, isn't it? You know, it's mm-hmm. sort of like it's... Uh, you know, after you, you don't want uh, eighteen ballads on the on the trot, you know, and then suddenly, <laughs> you know, people are starting to fall asleep. And you know. well, another one that kept people awake was Art Tatum. Talk about Tatum. What's yeah. it, what, do you remember the first time you heard Tatum? People usually do. It's always such a defining moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't so overwhelmed with the technical aspects of it because some of it I thought was wasn't the kind of jazz that I liked. Mm-hmm. You know, it seemed to be more embellishment mm-hmm. than actually improvising. And I think once he found a way of playing a piece, he didn't change it very much. No, I don't think but so either. to me, the interesting thing about Art Tatum was, well, of course, he had this wonderful command of the piano. It's extraordinary. But uh, it was his harmonic sense. What he brought to the piano harmonically was so different. I mean, he was using, you know, flattened fives and whole tone runs long before anybody else was doing it. And uh, rhythmic displacement, too, which is why I love that Arn Hager's blues I hope you'll play, Judy, uh, from the Capitol recordings. It's such sophistication on that 12-bar blues. You know, the, the harmonies are extraordinary.
and you know his famous recording of Willow Week for me. He didn't change it very much. No. That intro and that, you know. But when you found something so lovely, why, why change it? Right, exactly. You know, you well, know. we know we've played solo piano. It's hard yeah. to change it every night. <laughs> well, look at Louis Armstrong's Ink Misbehaving Solo. He never changed that. He hit on it, and it was great. Yeah. Why bother? I mean, people seem to think that jazz has to be improvising all the time, but not always. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, you find a way of playing something, and if it's, if it's excellent and you like it and you're happy with it, well, it's stick with it. You know? And other things change, too. Yeah. I think the emotional approach to it changes. Yep. The yep. tempo might change a little exactly. bit. Other things change. Yeah. Sometimes things get faster. You know, you know, when people are, maybe they're so bored of it, they want to get it out of the way. And, you know, guys re-record the same tune years later and it's a, it's a lot quicker, you know. Have you noticed that? I hadn't, but now that you mention it, that's yeah. very funny. Well, even Miles, I mean, the, you know, the, the tempo's got quicker on tunes that he'd start out with. Do you remember the original quintet? Well, not the, yeah, I guess it was the Red Garland Coltrane right. quintet, you know. And they're very laid back and the bass is often in a two you know, Paul Chambers is laying it down, and then they get faster when you get the uh, Tony Williams Ron oh, Carter rhythm. So, funny. Yeah, they, they're, they're up there, you know. They're sort of the all of me. All of me always played that, and, uh, you know, they, they get faster. You know, they're, they're sort of... Well, I'm laughing because I've actually worked very hard at slowing down because right. when I was younger, everything Sounds was a fun. freight train. It yeah. was all mm. the bullet train. I mm. thought it was relaxed, relaxed, because mm. mm-hmm. it's... It's in some ways easier to play stride fast than it is slower, you know, know and you have that control. Yeah. Well, but well, I know what you're saying with yeah. those guys, and yeah. you're right. But going back to that, it, it seemed that certain musicians like Fats Waller and Bill Cambasi and uh, I guess Duke, they had the secret of tempos, you know, that, that for a particular tune, mm-hmm. that tempo was right. Right. And if you hear Fats playing Handful of Keys, I mean, mm-hmm. that tempo is rock solid, you know. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And people have transcribed the damn thing, you know, and... Uh, They've got the metronome markings up there, you know, because it's mm-hmm. so studied now and so detailed. But you'll see the metronome markings don't differ that much, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas on some players, they do, you know. Well, and it's interesting, too. I think we're talking because we're two piano players, so we're really mm-hmm. getting into this. This right. is fun. But I have played Handful of Keys at the tempo that he did. Now, he did mm. a few different tempos, right. different recordings. Right, he did. But at his r- speediest. Mm. And I can do it. But it doesn't sound good. It's just not the right mm. tempo for me. And mm. I think that's another thing, finding the tempos sure. within yep. that work. He had bigger hands. Of Who course. knows what it is? Yeah. But something about that mm. tempo, I can do it. But mm. to me, to my ear, mm. I feel this sounds rushed. Yeah, so if I just slow it down a teeny bit, yeah. it swings yeah. better. Yeah, that's do right. you find that for yourself Absolutely. as well? Sure. In anything, even with playing with trio. You know, you know damn well, you count a thing in too fast. Like, oh, no. You know, yeah. You know, and I've seen great players do that, you know. I mean, it wouldn't bother Oscar Peterson too much because he could cope with any tempos, and usually right. he did play everything at breakneck speed, if right. a lot of things at breakneck speed, you know, just to show off. But I was never too crazy on that. But uh, No, I think I have certain tunes that I will mm. even have Chris Flory, who I know you yeah, know, my guitar sure. player. Yeah. I'll think he's going to call a better tempo on this. Right. And I'll call 99% mm. of him, but mm. I'll just say, Chris, call this in sure. because I'll think he's going to get a more relaxed... More of a groove, yeah. Yeah, yeah tempo is exactly. a very mm. important thing. Oh, they are. Well, the, 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 you remember the um, Miles Davis recording of Milestones, that kind mm-hmm. of thing that everybody started to play all over the place, you know? Well, you put that, put the, uh, put that on at the beginning and then play it, jump right to the end. That thing has gone rocketing up in speed. <laughs> you know. So uh, even the greats not, are... Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Not what we want. Yeah. That's very funny. Were your parents jazz fans? When not you at all. My father... Uh, were they horrified with absolutely. this? Absolutely. My father was kind of a religious guy. He had some strange religion called Christadelphians. It's an offshoot of something or other. I don't know. I've never even heard of this. No, well, yeah, you haven't missed anything. <laughs> 
but uh, <laughs> I still uh, they're Christians, but they're still waiting for uh, the Son of God to appear. So Christ wasn't didn't figure in the. Anyway, long story short. Oh, I, it sounds fascinating. Well, it wasn't too. But a little scary. Yeah. Well, I came home with a '78 once, which uh, Humphrey Littleton band. You know, this is what I all right. I knew in England. You know, and uh, it was a blues, and uh, it was called DJC Blues, and. Unfortunately, on the label in brackets, they put what it stood for, which was, does Jesus care? It was a spiritual. <laughs> so my daddy, bless him, saw this and broke the record and <gasps> said, this is devil's music and this, that, and the other. So he ran off the, the deep end. So oh, I, had to no. play, I had to play records when they were out of the house. You know, so. Oh, my word. Then yeah. how did you do your gigs? Well, you that's snuck later. out? Yeah, later on, uh, you get together with friends, and then I started to get competent enough to be able to play with bands, and that was later. But I had to go to university to satisfy them and they'd made sacrifices for that so i spent three years at oxford and played with the university as band and I, I was gigging all that time i was coming home at weekends and we were doing did t- they know TV. that yeah my mother only came around to me playing music was when i appeared on television so she could tell the neighbors hey you know keith's on tv live <laughs> on sunday night you know watch him like, thanks <laughs> My guest, Keith Ingham on Thinking of You. Keith is talking with me about the big bands of the swing era. I like them, but they, to me they always had a formula. There was a, you know, that's why I love Ellington so much, and we can go back to the way the Duke Ellington band played. Mm. There was nobody playing music like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the Artie Shores, the Dorses, uh, Goodmans, very often they play the same tunes and treat them almost in a similar way. There was always a, a, a part for the leader, naturally. Mm-hmm. And I always felt the rest of the band were kind of like 
great musicians though they were, they were kind of stooges, mm. you know. Whereas in Duke's band, there wasn't a single stooge there. They were all contributing to. Same with Basie, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you you didn't think of, you know. Count Basie band without Lester Young or Buck Clayton or Dickie Wells, you know, and, and the same with Ellington without Ben Webster, or Johnny Hodges, you know, or Lawrence Brown, dear Sonny Greer, you know, the whole thing is uh, was part of a piece. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just some guy who was, you know, a sadistic jerk half the time who was the leader, you know, like, <laughs> you know, causing these men's lives total misery, you know. Uh, you know what I mean? No, you looked at different colors. I always thought yep. of Ellington or Basie as putting their bands together as mm. as a painter, really thinking, okay, I need some yellow. Yeah. Good, Johnny Hodges. There you go. I need right. some red. Yeah. So yeah. Lester Young, whatever yeah. it is, sure. exactly. and putting it together that yeah. way, which is what makes a band so special. I know exactly. when I first came into jazz, that was something that really struck me is mm. that the people on mm. the CD were important. Yeah. And that's interesting. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't think of that. We mm. do as jazz musicians. Mm. But if you're buying just a band record or a mm-hmm. singer, you won't necessarily notice. But mm-hmm. we know as jazz musicians, you want to know the personnel. Of course. Yeah, who's Everybody. playing the beautiful backgrounds? Yeah, I mean, the Billie Holiday records with Teddy were perfect examples of that. Oh, yeah. Those are some of my Aren't favorite recordings. And the Mildred Baileys with a lot of the same people on them. Teddy's on those, you know. And, uh, yeah, exactly. This suspense is killing me. I like it. A lot of musicians hate them, but I think that a good singer can really... You've got the lyrics, you've got an interpretation of the song, you know, so you can fit round it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's nice to do that, mm-hmm. you know. I think a lot of my favorite piano players were great accompanists, like what we just mentioned, Tommy. Mm-hmm. All the years he spent with Ella, you know, he told me a funny story once. He was back in, I think, the late 50s, and he joined Ella, 
and he said, I, I don't know if he'd come off the road with J.J. Johnson and um, Quintet, you know, Jay and uh, I think, I don't know who was, it was a tenor player, in my, I don't know. Anyway, Tommy was playing great, and he was playing behind her, and she stopped him, and she said, if, I, if you're going to play like that behind me, I'm quitting the business. <laughs> And I remember dear Tommy and his wonderful expressive thing. He said, if I'm good, he says, would I be responsible for Ella Fitzgerald giving up singing? So then he, he didn't go back with her until the 60s, I think, you know. Uh, How funny. Yeah. I didn't know that yeah, story. Yeah. He told me that. And I never forgot that. And I thought a man of this, you know, sublime talent, you know, would feel that way. It's also a great humility, but... Uh, yeah, you know, it's yeah. wonderful. So I asked him, I said, well, what is it that, you know, playing behind singers, what did Ella particularly want? She wanted a, a kind of a, a rhythm accompaniment, rather like a big band on piano. Interesting. You know, like, she yeah. didn't want all the things Tommy was doing. No, she didn't want all those beautiful... I mean, he modified it, but he was probably, she thought, playing too much behind her, you know, sort of filling and uh, it's leading notes and things like that. It's fascinating mm. for me, too, mm-hmm. to think of Ella mm. as wanting less yeah. in a way she because was used Ella to hearing could, big band so it's what sound. she's used to yeah. hearing if you hear Ella uh, I have some radio broadcasts of her from the Royal Roost in 48 and the rhythm section is Hank Jones um, Ray Brown who was married to her at the time right and I think a, a drummer called Charles Smith I can't remember anyway Hank's laying down big band type of chords you know mm-hmm. and percussive she liked that percussive feel you know rhythmic phrases behind mm-hmm. what she's singing because she was a very rhythmic singer. Right, so that's right. what she liked. Whereas apparently, I spoke to Jimmy Rolls, and he said that somebody like Sarah Vaughan liked Phil's and things like that, you know. Yeah, mm. I knew Sarah. That's when I didn't mm. know Ella, so I was surprised with mm. that, because she loved all that stuff. Yeah. Sarah yeah. really, well, they were very different singers. Exactly, exactly. So that yeah. makes a point. Yep. Somebody loves me. Talk to me about Hampton Hawes. Well, unsung hero of mine. I thought that um, he, he was recording in the f- early 50s, 
and then went into the army, and uh, when he came out again, resumed his playing career, I thought he was, with Bud Powell, the most exciting player around about that time, you know, and um, percussive, wonderful spontaneity in his playing, mm -hmm. and a wonderful blues player, you know, there's kind of bop blues, or whatever you want to call it, but also down-home, real funky blues. Well, there's two albums he did on Contemporary, the Volume 1, Volume 2, with uh, Red Mitchell, and I think it's Chuck uh, Flores, was it, on drums, I think. Anyway, uh, I loved them very much. He was also a great lyrical player, you know, he could play... Uh, uh, that uh, easy living he did on there. It's, it's I so love lovely. that yeah. tune. Yeah. Not many people play that tune. That's yeah. such a beautiful it tune. It is a beautiful tune, yeah. Songwriters have always been my heroes because without them, what would we be playing? I mean, you can number, say, the handful of great jazz composers on one hand. I'd say Duke Fats, I mean, Benny Golson, I mean, writes wonderful tunes. I'd say Bud Powell's a great jazz composer. And Monk, you know, and maybe John Lewis. I mm -hmm. mean, you can go on. But basically, particularly with early bop, they took the chord changes from standards. Oh, absolutely. You know. I love to hear you say this because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't mm -hmm. focus on the songwriters, and that's... That's what Our we armature. Have. That's what that we is. build on. And if you can improve on them, and I don't think you can, um, I don't hear it today because young people play mostly their originals, you know, mm -hmm. and you can't tell whether they're messing them up or not. <laughs> you know? Whereas you know damn well that if somebody doesn't know the chord changes to "Love a Man," you know, you know damn well what's happening. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. Do you think that's that uh, makes sense? No, it makes. I'm just. I'm just so delighted. I'm. I'm laughing because I'm thinking... Makes this me is, sound like a, a, an old fogey. You know, no, like, I love it. I'm laughing because I'm thinking how rare it is for piano players to get to hang out together mm -hmm, and how right. much fun this is because yeah. we're never on the same gigs. That's right. You know, one's mm -hmm. playing, the other's playing. Mm -hmm. And anytime this happens, yeah. mm -hmm. we all get so excited sure. because we're the ones that are just playing, yeah. the horn players up there getting that's the right. glory. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and yeah. so I'm laughing at all the things you're saying because I, I relate with it so much. It's very I funny. Know. Well, going back to Maxine, I mean, the, the, and Peggy Lee here because Peggy adored Maxine, but when we recorded with Maxine Sullivan, she'd come down from the Bronx where she lived with a little baseball cap on and her jeans and she'd come down on the subway, you know, and she'd come sailing in and she'd go through it and we'd sing and uh, everybody was happy she was there. She was wonderful to work with because she had such great time. You could pick up the pulse straight from her, and most of the time I let her just count the dance songs in because it was easier, like you were talking about. Yeah, with letting, Chris, yeah, right. exactly. And Maxine, particularly because she knew how she could get the lyrics out. Right, and, which and is perfect, and if they've rushed. got it, perfect. Yeah. And some of those uh, songs, like, um, you know, uh, have got a lot of happy as the day is long. It's got a lot mm -hmm. of, lot of uh, words to fit into that. It's a noty kind of tune, mm -hmm. you know. And... Uh, 
Anyway, Maxine had come down on the on the subway and go back on the subway, bless her, you know. And when Peggy Lee came in to do this thing, well, we have to put her up at the Waldorf suite in one particular room, which was her lucky room, and when she used to do Basin Street East and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, we had to have a chauffeur on, on call in case she wanted a hamburger and, uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> I don't know, somehow, oh, it's the wacko. chauffeurs, yeah, in yeah. case you need a burger. That's right. That's, that's this is showbiz. That's the difference between show business to me and jazz people. I you know. know. You know what I mean? Don't you love jazz people? Yeah, when Peggy was a jazz person, but yeah. she'd created this show business, right. a Jekyll and Hyde person, you know, it's created so this monster that was Peggy Lee, who everything was worked out in her act down to the, the, the slightest you know, twitch of a finger or, or, or a nod of the head or anything, right. which to me takes all the spontaneity out oh, of it. Oh, of course. You know. but, but she didn't sound that she way. She didn't sound that way. That's the trick. That's, that's the trick. amazing. Yeah, that's the trick. That she could do yeah. it. Well, that's the difference between Maxine showing up on the subway and Peggy Lee, you know, with the suite in the Waldorf Towers. You know. Well, I'm not going to tell anyone that you came in a chauffeur today. No, no, don't. car today. Yeah, he's still and waiting And that we're going me. out for a burger yeah, right now. Exactly. I think so. <laughs> ah, but the, the trick is, Judy, that the only burger that she was happy with was one sort of joint in New Jersey. So, oh, so you need the chauffeur to take actually, you to Jersey. Yeah, well, no, to get the hamburger. <laughs> oh, so you'd send him for the burger. Yeah. Yeah. Should have known. And of course, when it comes back, it's stone cold, but of course, it's delicious, right? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, well, it's been wonderful talking to you. I've just loved it. And I mean this, having we get to finally sit down Thanks. and have Thank a you. long chat. Thank yeah. you so much it's been for a lot doing of fun. this. It's really fun. And you're a wonderful interviewer, Judy. That's Thank great. you. Thank you Lovely. for doing this. My pleasure. You've been listening to jazz pianist Keith Ingham. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. The opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Laurie on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about what I'm doing in my music, visit judycarmichael.com. Special thanks to Tom Rickenback, Steve and Linda Plotnicki, and our webmaster, Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons, Newman's Own, and the American Hotel Sag Harbor, New York. Visit online at theamericanhotel.com.